you, you ask so many dads, hey, how was your weekend? And nine times out of 10, they're going to say, it was great. Here's all the things I did. Hello, everybody. This is the Venus and Mars podcast, and I'm your host, Anya Shack. I'm a culture and trend strategist, researcher of all things hunter-gatherer, and I'm devoted to healing the divide between men and women. So if you like what you hear and you're on Team Unite Venus and Mars, then join me in growing the movement by hitting subscribe. Now let's get straight into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Venus and Mars podcast. You've got Anya here, and today we're going to talk about fatherhood. So I'm one of those people that believes that fatherhood is one of the most um, important aspects of our lives, uh, of our youth, of our adulthood, of our collective cultural lives. I think when there is lacking fatherhood, it creates all sorts of problems. And I'm just going to rattle off some statistics that are just true of lots of Western nations. So as it turns out, 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. So 85% of all children who show behavior disorders are from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. That's nine times the average. Children with fathers who are, in, who are involved are, le- are 70% less likely to drop out of school. This is just a few of the hundreds of statistics that are related to fatherless homes. And that's not even taking account for homes that have physical fathers present, but have emotionally unavailable fathers, which is so true in, in so many of the, of, of what I see in the world. It's definitely part of my story and, and how I was raised and all that I had to learn. So just hearing that, and just imagining how important fatherhood is. All of us have fathers. All of us think about fathers. All of us, some of us might want to be fathers. Because of this, I thought it would be so fun to get one of my favorite dad coaches ever on the show, Matt Halson, to speak about the 10 lessons that he's learned uh, as being a dad. So over to you. Hi, Matt. Yeah, Anya. Thanks for having me on again. Awesome. So yeah, just before we jump in, like hearing some of the statistics, like where does your mind go? I, honestly, it kind of validates a lot of what I see and a lot of the things that I have experienced myself. Um, while I wasn't in a fatherless home, my dad was around. He wasn't as present as he could have been because of you know having a workplace incident when I was a child, which that that made things really hard for him. You know, having infections and medications and always getting sick. So. I can resonate a lot with those things, with those thoughts, those those statistics about you know lots of runaway kids. Um, I also had a lot of a lot of my good friends were were very similar to me, but their fathers and mothers had separated, so they were from broken mm-hmm. homes, or you know, not to call them broken, but yeah. homes where with where they'd gone through separations, divorces, etc. You know, parents living in some in some cases different states, um, and at least different cities for some of them. Yeah. So it's it's important you know being being a present father is important taking on the responsibility of fatherhood is a massive responsibility and the biggest thing i think gets missed is that being a good father also means you have to be a good husband and to do both of those things you have to be a good man and that takes practice you know that's not a it's not a given 
You know, it's not something that you just get. It's you have to earn that every day. You know, you clock in in the morning, you clock out at night, and then all through the day, you, you're basically on duty. You've got to be trying to build yourself to be better, you know, mm. assessing where you've made mistakes and, and growing from that because the role we play is pivotal. You know, it's, it's, it's huge. You look at lots of statistics, which I don't, I don't have any of them in front of me, but around, um, you know, daughters with fatherhood wounds, you know, that, that turn into daddy issues and what's a lot of that driven from when you talk to people that, that have those, it's attention. I didn't get the attention from my dad. Cool. Mm -hmm. Why not? And then that's not a question for her because it's never the child's fault, in my opinion. You know, yeah. you can have children that are wild and crazy and out of control, but ultimately it's how you respond to it is what's going to cause, have. that's where the cause and effect begins. Mm. It's how we respond. Mm. So the statistics are just a, 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 they're a shockwave. Yeah. Right. They're what hits us and goes, oh my God, it's, it's undeniable. But then it's the inner work. It's the looking at the, well, okay, how's, where's our responsibility lie with that? Yeah. Because statistics are just numbers. Statistics yeah. don't fix anything. Mm. They just exist. And they just say, hey, this is just as close to factual as we could find from the studies that we've done. Mm -hmm. And people can choose to ignore them or people can choose to accept them and say, okay, I want to do better. I want to do different. Mm. I want more than just that. I don't want to be another statistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I want to, I want to change the, like the direction of this incline to go the other way, um, starting now. And I love that. And I actually, I think about Marilyn Monroe a lot. I have a picture of her in, in my apartment. Um, you know, I recently watched the new movie that they made a couple months ago about her. Um, it was very creative, very artsy movie, whether you loved it or hate it, hated it doesn't matter. But the general, the general, essence that I took from the movie was that, you know, her eventual demise was all rooted in her father wound. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that. Oh yeah. It's a huge that's, thing. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just a perfect moment to kind of realize, you know, like this is something that I know that I've I've heard so many people tell me, you know, like, why am I so critical? Why am I so negative about myself? Why are all these things, right? And it's just what you're saying, like the lack of attention, the lack of being seen um, and the desire to impress dad, um, even when he's around, but him not really creating that open space for you to be you um, is definitely a huge pattern. So Without further ado, let's jump into these 10 things. I'm so excited for you guys to hear them. I think Matt is just a wealth of knowledge and wisdom, husband, dad. Um, let's start with number one. What's the number one thing? The first thing, actually. So these are in no particular order. Cool. These are when, once you put the challenge out and said, hey, I'd love to, I'd love to do an episode on some dad lessons. I was like, all right, I'm just going to write down the main things that pop up, the things that yeah. I've learned, the things that I find valuable and important for me as a father. Um, so in no particular order, cool. but that being said, anyone who's listening to this, I, I'm going to say that both Anya and I would love to hear back from you, whether it's by email or on social media to, to let us know which ones you think are the most important for you. So the first thing I have written down is the ki our kids mirror us. Mm. So for a lot of fathers, we will react or behave and respond to things in, in a certain way. And then 
will often not be able to understand why our kids are behaving in similar ways. And mm. often when our kids are, you know, if, if we're a yaller, which I've been a big yaller in the past, um, I'm doing the work to, to do a lot better in that space. But when we yell a lot, what happens? Our kids learn to yell a lot. What about? Well, it's about kids stuff. And then what do we do? We look at it and go, that's not worth yelling about. So you need to stop. And wow. then we start to yell more. So just to take one example of it, but what happens with kids when they they mirror our behavior? And normally one of two things happens. And I've witnessed this in my own kids. They either, they learn to do it themselves. So just to take the yelling, for example, they become what we are. If we yell, they become a yeller. And, or... If we yell, they become fearful of it and then they want to reject it and then they want the space. They want to run away from it. And they're the two things that I've seen um, just in my experience with with lots of different things. You know, if I'm not showing enough love, then they're not going to show enough love. Mm. They're not going to want to show. They're going to withhold affection because, well, if you're not doing it, then that must be right because we're the pinnacle for them. You know, we're the top, the parents are the top, we're at the, the top of the food chain in their eyes. We're the, we're the gods, we're the superheroes, we're the everything. Yeah. And if, if we're not showing love or if we're yelling and we're going to do that to them, well, then that must be the way that you do it. That must be how it's done because there's, to, they don't understand the context. They don't understand the, the more in-depth nuance of things. They just see mommy's yelling at me about this or daddy's yelling at me about this. So that's what you do. Because that's a, that's them defending themselves. That's them saying, mm. I need to protect how I feel about being yelled at because it makes me sad and it makes me feel unloved and it makes me feel like they don't care about me. Yeah. And then I just need to understand that that's just what you do and that's right. okay. So then they start to do it or they reject it and they go, I don't like that. And this is what I did a lot of the time was not fearful of it, but fearful of it, rejecting it uh, a very, very close um, you know, because rejection of something is in essence a fear of it. Totally. You know, you, you don't want to touch it. You know, get get away from me. Um, so rejecting it and doing the opposite sometimes, you know, withdrawing if right. it comes to yelling or, right. you know, being a being driven for more and more affection, you know, being super clingy and all these things, which again just tends to overwhelm parents more. And then they, what happens? They start to yell more or they start to show less affection because they're, they're touched out. So totally, that was lesson number one for us. Your kids are a mirror. So if your kids are doing something that you can't understand, and this is just very general in nature, I, I get there's lots of reasons behaviorally that kids do things. Um, but as a general rule, look at yourself first before you start blaming the child for their behavior. Look at okay. what you're doing because the kids will be mirroring it in one of two ways. They'll either accept it or they're just going to shine it straight back in your face. I love that. And what, what it makes me think of is um, it's not necessarily the worst thing when maybe they're doing it at home with parents, like in the moment, but what happens when it's unchecked is it shows up later in their lives as adults in way mm -hmm. worse ways. Um, for example, like I remember dating someone like seven, eight years ago, and my dad ended up meeting him at some point, And he said to me, I hate the way he talks to you. And I was mm -hmm. like, he talks to me exactly like you talk to me. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, whoa, that's <laughs> like a, that was like a yeah. mirror moment for him, like a smack in the face. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes we need that. And that's, 
I've actually written mirror above it uh, in big caps letters, right? They, they mirror us, but it's also a mirror for us to look into. So don't just think about they're looking at it as a, I've just got to do the same, but look at it as you're setting that standard. It's on you. You know, if they're behaving in a certain way or if there's something that they're doing you don't like, odds are you're doing something similar and they're either reinterpreting it and they're projecting it out differently or they're just directly mirroring it. You know, my nine-year-old, if I yell too much, um, which I've got four kids, you know, I'm, I'm, we're busy. It's, it's yeah. hectic here. Yeah. It's going to happen sometimes. Yeah. If I'm doing it too much and I'm not getting that in check and, and making sure that I'm grounded and patient with the kids, they, my oldest starts to yell a lot more mm. and, and she has zero filter. So not only does she reflect it back to me with her behavior, but then if I start to probe it, she will just whack a mirror in my face <laughs> and say, well, it's okay for you to do it. And now I could, I could choose to do what lots of people do and and just argue the point. I'm not going to argue with my kids, you know, it's things like that don't need to be a debate, but I take the information and I go, okay, okay, have I been doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I have been yelling too much. So she's actually, she's absolutely right. Mm. And rather than ignoring it or not talking about it further, I will sit down and talk to her about it. And I'll accept my faults. I will accept my position in that. Mm. And I will apologize when necessary to my kids for for not giving them what they need, but for just doing what I think is best in the moment or what whatever's just easiest in the moment is is normally what it comes down to. It's easier to yell than it is to be patient. Right. You know, every time. Right. 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 Wow. I love it. That's so great. Your kids are your mirror. All right, let's do it. Number two. So number two is affection. Okay. So this was a big one for me. Um, growing up, my my dad wasn't the most affectionate person. Um, mm. My mom wasn't super affectionate either, but my dad especially wasn't. And so again, coming back to that, um, the the childhood traumas and the parent wounds. Yeah. Not showing your kids affection absolutely has an impact on them. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a walking, talking example of that because I remember sitting down with him before we had my wife, before we had kids and just discussing like, you know, what we're, how we're going to be as parents. And I remember her saying, oh, maybe it was after we'd had Dot and, you know, I just loved her absolutely to death and I would just hug her and kiss her all the time. And I remember him saying, oh, would you, are you going to be like this with the boys? And my default answer was no, absolutely yeah. not. You know, you don't kiss boys like you kiss girls. No, you don't do that. And I carried that mentality up until we had a son. Mm. And that's when my my mindset shifted on that 100%. And that was, they are just as worthy and they need just as much love as my daughters Mm. do in the same way. Are they going to need more of other things like discipline and guidance than than my daughters will from me? Yes. But that doesn't mean they don't need love and affection too. So how'd you shift that? It was it was difficult to be perfectly honest, because I didn't know how to do it for a boy, you yeah. know, because I'd I'd seen my dad doing it with the girls and not so much with me. I mean, at least that's how I felt about it, whether that's you know hundred percent true or not, I'm not sure, but that's how I sort of felt about it. And it, it felt normal, you know, dad's loving, I'm, you know, daddy's girl, that kind of thing. Whereas the boys are, 
are different, you know, raising them to be men and men, you know, traditionally that, you know, don't show emotion, don't show too much affection, right. you know, it's stoic and strength. And my mentality around affection and love changed a lot over the last few years and having a son and realizing that this tiny little baby is no different to the tiny little girl. Why would I not? Like, if I want to kiss him, why am I not doing it? Like, all I'm doing there is suppressing an emotion. Do yeah. I want to be that man that suppresses emotions? No, I don't want to be that man. Mm. So I'm going to give him both. He's going to get the guidance. He's going to get the strength. He's going to get the the discipline that's that's needed from a father. But he's also going to get as much love and affection as he needs in the ways that he needs it. Mm. That's beautiful. Like, a boy is not a man. That is the distinction. <laughs> like a boy yeah. gets to be, you know, treated like a, a child, just like a girl yeah. does. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And to to withhold affection for I'm just gonna pinpoint my oldest son. Yeah. Um, so he's four. And if if I were to withhold affection from him, I would I think I would definitely be hitting him right at his core because he is a very affectionate little man very affectionate like he loves cuddles like often in the morning i'll i'll be sitting out on the couch at you know five o'clock in the morning i'll be working or i'll be on calls or doing something and he'll wander out and he all he wants to do is just sit there with me and cuddle me that's it you yes know, so, that happened on our last call yeah, yeah it did yeah that's right. you know and and that's he'll just do that and he will he'll just be sitting there and he'll be playing with something and you'll just be near him and he'll just go i love you daddy out of the blue, non-prompted. So it's this, this little boy needs love and he needs to know that love is okay. It's an okay emotion to have. It's an okay emotion to share. And he loves kisses. You know, we, I do this thing with him. It's, um, he doesn't always like it, but (laughs) when he's in the mood, we do a, I do a kiss attack Yeah. where I just, you know, give him loads and loads of kisses all at once. And he's laughing his head off and everything. It's like, why would I withhold that from my son? Yeah. How is that going to be of any benefit to him to know that a man is capable of love and affection? Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, it just makes me think of the way that in the West we skip, we try to skip steps for what we think we're looking for, you know, in the end. Uh, For example, like with attachment theory, right? Like um, we, like parents now are becoming way more privy to the fact that you actually, you've got to like be super attached to your infant and to your, like the first few years of a child's life so that later he can feel, he or she can feel comfortable enough to be independent. But so many mm-hmm. times parents have gotten that wrong where they're like, oh, we want our kids to be independent. So we'll withhold attachment. And what that does is that creates a not independent kid. <laughs> And same thing I think is true for affection, like you're talking about, which is this, this point number two, in order to make sure that our kids are like strong and like, we're really just trying to make sure they survive later in the world. We withhold affection from them, but that does the exact opposite of what it's meant to, of what it's meant to do. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm preparing them for when they're older. Right. Why? They will, they will cross that bridge when they get there. Let them cross that bridge when they get there. You don't have to be the one to break their heart. Let someone else do that. And then you just be there to support them afterwards. And you know why they'll come to you? Because they know that they will get the love and affection that they need. Totally. Ugh. And it just doesn't work. It's like not effective. It doesn't work. So like, why no. are we doing it? I, I love this point. Affection, affection, affection. Yeah. I think uh, to tie it back to like the attachment and, and our own inner traumas and childhood wounds, 
you know, we, we withhold often what we didn't get mm. as, as core needs, not as, you know, we're all, it's a materialistic world now, you know, our kids have got everything that they could want just right. about. And that's, that's the case in lots and lots of houses, you know, the, even the poorer homes now, kids have got so much more than what they ever had. You know, a poor home, if you go back to when our parents were raising us, was you really didn't have much. You really, yeah. you you only had a couple of sets of clothes. You only had a couple of toys. There really wasn't much. That's but even it. in, you know, the the poorer homes or the lower income homes, they've got an abundance of stuff. Yeah. And yet kids are still growing up and they're still not happy and they're still having all these yeah. other wounds. It's like, you're not giving them what you didn't get, which are the things like affection. If you didn't get shown enough affection as a child, your default likely will be to not do it totally. unless you choose to go the opposite to that. You know, if your dad was absent, your default might be to be a workaholic, to go and work because that's what you do. And you can't accept the fact that your parents are human, that they're fallible, that they're going to make mistakes and they're going to do the wrong things Yeah. for what is perceivably the right reasons, yeah, right? Exactly. You're going to think, well, that's what I do. I go to work because I work hard because that's what dad did. Again, you're you're protecting yourself and your own inner child by saying that. Dad went to work and worked all those hours for me. No, not, not strictly. No, <laughs> not just for you. Because if he was doing everything for you, he would have given you the time and the attention that you needed to fully develop, to be able to develop a healthy attachment and a healthy understanding of love yeah. and affection but he couldn't do that because he was away. And why was he away so much? You know, yeah. you start to ask those probing questions of yourself that, well, okay, yeah, he, he probably could have been home. Like he didn't have to work 16 hour days. He he did. And, you know, he, here all, yeah. here's all the critical people jumping in being like, nah, but, you know, not everyone has a high paying job and not everyone has this. It's like, yeah, again, but look around your home and I can guarantee you, you've got too much of everything already. Yeah. So if you're working too much, it's only just to buy stuff. And we know we absolutely know by now that presence trumps presence every time. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. want your time, not the things. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. It's so great. I love this one. Okay. Let's jump into number three. So number three, I've got provider. And this okay. actually ties in really well. So the time, that's what they want. They want your damn time. That is mm. the only thing that the kids actually need from you is your time and yes it's it depending on your time if you're an abusive person or you're really violent or if you're yelling a lot i don't want to link those two together abusive is different let's go with if you're someone who yells who's not very present yeah you're not giving them your time you know or you are giving them some time but it's if you're always trying to control how they do things and everything you're not giving them valuable time you're not yeah. allowing them to be themselves to exist in a way that they that they just want to show up and you're just creating the space for them to exist within your time, then they, they again, they're going to develop weird attachments to that. Yeah. You know, if every time they're around dad and dad's trying to control how I behave, you know, I've got kids that um, are hyperactive. You know, we sit down to play a board game and my, my four-year-old, excuse me. You're good. Getting frogs in my throat. Um, My four-year-old, he will be. He will sit down to play, and he's, he's he can't play the games fully yet, right? He's he's yeah. not at that level with some of these games, but he likes to join in. He likes to do things, and you know he'll get up halfway through a game and he'll go and he'll go down a slide. He'll run outside. He'll come back in. And he'll be jumping yeah. off the couches and doing all this stuff. Well, I've seen a lot of parents or fathers that will try and control that behavior. Like, no, you got to sit down. And I've been that man. 
in the past where it's like, no, you have to sit down. We're playing a game as a family, sit down. And what happens there? My tone changes. All of a sudden I'm trying to control him. And mm. what's going to happen there? He's going to push back against it. Mm. And then again, there's yes, there's discipline sides to things and all the rest. He's four years old. If yeah. he was 16, then it'd be a different conversation, but sure. he's four. Like sure. try and get a four-year-old to sit down and do anything. Good luck. Like oh, let gosh. them be kids. Let them have fun yeah. and make like just release your own expectations of what it looks like because yeah. allowing them to exist in a, in a way and just be around you and just be themselves around you and feel safe, that's more important than, than anything you're ever going to buy them. I love this. And I also love to hear your perspective. You have young kids right now, right? Like to be able to hear this and then reflect my experience from like coming out on the other side of healing my own father wounds of like realizing that time around dad was always just like tense. So of course I couldn't be myself. So I was tense. So then that translated directly to, I only ever felt like it was normal to be tense around men. So like, if I wasn't tense around a guy, then I would think, oh, I'm not interested in him. But only if I was really tense, would I be like, oh, this is probably someone I want to date. It was just like a really twisted control stuff. And so, yeah, I dated a lot of guys that were controlling and, and verbally abusive and it was, it was, it was not good. And so I realized like it was that feeling of tension as a kid that I got when I was four five, six, seven, that then like had to be unlearned, you know, later in life. Mm. So I love to be able to reflect the like adult, you know, retrospective kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so yeah, providing it's, it's providing more than money. I love it. You, know, you have to be able to provide more than money. You know, you've got to be able to provide. Sure, you've got to be able to provide for school. You know, you've got to be able to pay for schooling. You've got to be able to pay to keep the roof over your head. That's important. Yeah. But you've also got to be able to provide love and compassion and empathy and space and guidance and leadership. Yeah. You need to be able to provide all of those things because, like you said, it has a lasting impact. You know, if my daughters learn through my behavior that they can't come to me when they're crying, well, they're going to they're gonna struggle in their adult life because they're going to go, if they come to me and I yell, anytime they're upset at a, at a partner, they're going to go, I can't bring this to him because he's just going to yell at me. So I'll just, I'll just shove it down even further and I'll shove it down even further and I'll shove it down even further. Mm. And that's not healthy. Mm. You know, that's not healthy. I, I want my girls to, when they enter a relationship, if they're upset with whoever that man is, that they can talk to him about it. And if they can't talk to him about it, that's probably not the best relationship to be in. <laughs> Totally. Period. And that starts with me. I need to provide that space for them now and provide that love and that compassion and just to be able to be the person they can come to and talk to. Mm. I don't always have to fix it. Yeah. I just need to hold the space for them. Yeah. You know, just allow them to process it themselves in, in a safe environment with me. I'll hug them. I'll kiss them. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll check mm. that they're okay. And then yeah. if it's something that can, is going to carry over and continue, I'll say, okay, do you need me to do something? Totally. You know, what do you okay. need from me? And and you just, you allow them to be a part of the conversation. So it's like, oh, cool. My needs are important. But how I feel is important. Oh, and it'll also help me if I need it. <laughs> like, what? Like, you could just be yourself? Mm. <laughs> it's really big. Um, the providership is a really big one. Because I feel like people get uh, weird about that word. Like, oh, men have to provide. And they just don't see it for the full breadth of what this word means and which I which I yeah. love the way you you represented that word. Yeah, thank you. It's 
it's one that's big for me because I got stuck in the provider mode of it was just money and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just need to financially support. If I've got that, then I'm good. Everything's good. You know, right. we're set. And right. it was, I was absolutely lying to myself. Mm. 100%. Yeah. It's huge. Okay. I love it. Let's jump into number four. Sacrifice. Okay. So self-sacrificing fathers, right? So we don't have to sacrifice everything as a dad. And this, mm-hmm. this is a trap that a lot of us fall into. You know, I did it as well. I gave up hobbies. I gave up, you know, friendship circles and everything. And it ties back to the provider as well. You know, I need to be providing time and I need to be providing money. But the time wasn't good, healthy time with my mm-hmm. kids because I was trying to fill everyone's cup without filling my own first. So the sacrifice also ties back to a sacrifice of needs and a sacrifice of boundaries. Mm. So we think that, oh, you know, I'm a family man. My priorities change. I need to give up all these things and give up all these hobbies. And now I'm family man. No, absolutely not. If you've got things that light you up, that fill you up, you need to continue to do those things. Mm. And you need to be able to establish healthy ways to make sure that you can have those things in your life. Because if you lose them, all you've got is your family. And family life is stressful. It is hard. Being a parent's not easy. And if you're not looking after yourself, you cannot look after them effectively. You just can't. You know, I've seen lots of dads that will think that, oh, I can look after my kids effectively because they keep cool and they just keep calm mm. and they take their kids to every event and they do all those things. It's like, yeah, but you're not really present. You're not mm. really fun. You're not really laughing so much and enjoying it. You yeah. know, you've got no experiences to share anymore. You, you don't have anything to laugh about that's new. All you're relating to is a previous version of you that now you're a dad. Mm. And that's not a way to show your kids how to live your life mm. because you're, again, you're the, you're the role model for your kids. If you're living a life where it's just all about family and it's all about work, you're teaching your kids that life is all about family and all about work. And, then, yeah. and it's not okay. Again, it's not okay to have your own needs, to have right. your own things that you like to do, to to go and be able to blow off steam, to go and be able to learn new skills and develop yourself better as a human. So to not, to be fully self-sacrificing the family, to give up your own needs, to give up your own boundaries is detrimental to your family. Because if your yeah. cup's empty, you're not really there. Yeah. Wow. You know, it leads me to think of like being self-sacrificing is also a way to cut yourself off from your intuition, mm-hmm. right? Because I I've heard a lot of men talk about like this is anecdotal, okay? This isn't data driven, but I've heard a few different men in my past say things like, you know, when they're upset that someone leaves them, right? The relationship ends. Um, they they'll say things like, but I sacrificed everything for her. I just, I stopped doing everything that I was going to do. I was in this for the long run. I can't believe she left. Like I was willing to like, I was willing to deal with all the shit. Like they were just making it sound like this was the worst relationship ever, but they were going to be in it till the day they died. And, and she was the one that like ruined it, which I find to be like, so flawed. Like, where's that coming from? That, that comes from a justification at, at, because it's painful. If you give everything, and I'll, I'll admit these guys that, that don't deal with their own needs or their own boundaries very well, mm. that's their justification is I just give everything to her and it'll make her happy. Mm. No, it won't. It won't because mm-hmm. she, doesn't, she didn't want to marry a servant. Totally. 
He didn't want to marry a yes man. She wanted to marry someone that can guide, can lead, can be strong for the family, but can also, again, provide love, affection, compassion. Yeah. That's what she wants. And if all you're doing is saying, yeah, cool, but you're getting frustrated in other areas, she's going to feel that and she's going to see that. And because you're not you're not stepping up and saying, hey, this is something that I need. I need time mm. for myself. I need to do, you know, I want to go and hit the gym. This is the best time that works for me. Yes, it's going to be inconvenient to the family, but it's important to me. Yeah, love that. And then I'm going to, if I do this, it's going to help me show up better in these areas. They want a man that can do that. They can say, hey, here's what I'm going to do. It's not a asking for permission. It's a, I'm going to do this. This is why. And here's how I'm going to make it work. Yeah. And here's how it's going to be a benefit to you. But not only saying it, but then actually doing it. You know, if you say, I'm going to go to the gym at six o'clock and I'm going to miss every dinner. But when I'm home, I'm going to be present. I'm going to do this with the kids and then I'm going to put them to bed and it's going to be loving. It's going to be fun. It's going to be enjoyable. Then after that, we're going to have some time together. All of a sudden, it completely changes the perspective. But a lot of guys won't even ask because they fear being told no. No, you oh. can't do that because it's dinner time and you're going to sacrifice dinner time. It's like, yeah, but would you rather a dinner time where you're sitting there grumpy, not totally. really communicating, not being present because you're sitting there going, I just really want to go to the gym. I'm not happy with how, happy with how I look. I'm not sure. very confident. I want to feel better. I want to look better. I want to be stronger for my kids oh. and set a good example. That You can either have that or you can put your needs first and say, no, I need to do this. But then when you go and do it, you best follow through with your commitment. But yeah. the guys that just sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice would sit there and go, well, I'm not even going to ask because that's taking time away from my family. And any time that I give to myself that's just for me is taking away from my family and I'm not going to do that because they deserve everything. Well, they do. <laughs> But they deserve a man who's going to be there, who's going to be present, who's going to be grounded and calm, not a man who's going to be distracted and resentful about the fact that he doesn't have a life outside of his family. Totally. Oh my gosh. I just love this. And I also think it starts even before you have kids. So I heard a really fun story um, from just like an old mentor of mine where he was like with a whole bunch of, uh, it was like maybe four or five couples. They were sitting for lunch. Um, on a Saturday or something, and they like are were new friends, and there was this one couple group, him and his his girlfriend. They they basically showed up there, and they were they all got along. And so basically, one of the women was like, "Oh, we all get together for brunches on Sundays. Like, you guys should come next Sunday." And his his girlfriend at the time, not even wife, no kids yet, said, "Oh, sorry, we can't do Sundays. Um, you know, so and so has soccer games all day." And all the men were like, what? Like, he? what do you mean he has soccer games all day? And so the whole point were that these men were so shocked that like this woman is advocating for her, her, her boyfriend's needs and her boyfriend's interests and what he's chosen to devote himself to that on Sundays, a day that I guess typically families would think of as like brunch day or like family day, that's his soccer day. And mm. so- basically they were, they went on talking about how, like when they first met, that was one of his like bottom lines. Like on Sundays, I play soccer with my friends. It's something I'm not willing to to trade. And mm. knowing that they entered into a relationship. What a lot of guys do though, is to try to please women. They'll like quit some of their stuff for a while when they first start dating. And then later a few months down the line, they're like, Oh, Hey, I want to play soccer. And, and she's like, 
you haven't played soccer a day since I've met you. It's like yeah. a new thing. And so she feels like, why is this a random new thing you want to introduce? Whereas this guy said it from the first moment. He was like, this is me. This is what I do. And that is so respected by women. Yeah. And to do otherwise is to live a lie. Yeah. To withhold that information of like, hey, before we got together, I played soccer every Sunday. Yeah. And I stopped that because I wanted to put this relationship first. It's 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 not as respected as a man who's comfortable and capable to have that conversation to say, hey, we're in a we're gonna start a relationship. Just so you know, this is something that I'm going to do. It's something that I'm doing, it's something I enjoy, and I'm not gonna negotiate on that. Even better is to sit there and say, How can we create a similar space for you? Mm. So that you okay. can have something like that for you as well. Because again, it's a relationship's not just it's not one or the other it's mm -hmm. one and the other right it's it's 100 100% on both sides so you both got to be putting into it and if i'm getting time for myself then it's in my best interest to create time where i can for my partner to have time for herself too mm. you know which is easier said than done but yeah it's important to at least have some conscious action tied to it i love it this is so good yay okay no self-sacrifice okay number five uh so grounding you know okay. being able to ground yourself through emotions is is big you know it's it's mandatory it's absolutely necessary if you're going to be a family man leading your family and raising good quality grounded kids that you know not explosive you know they're not going to be another statistic you need to know how to manage your own emotions and your own state and your own overwhelm and that starts with grounding practices you know having the ability to just stop and be present and calm yourself and be able to regulate yourself, you know, like breathing practices, meditation, um, you know, I'm big on all those and not just to be clear, not in a spiritual sense for mm. me for meditation. Like, yes, that can come and people can do it. And I've done some of it, but for me, my meditation practice, all it does is it gets all the noise out of my head. It gets, it just gets rid mm. of it because we're all walking around with, like this infinite to-do list, you know, yeah. every dad and lots of mums, well, maybe every mum as well. It's just <laughs> always a constantly evolving to-do list going on in your head. I've got to take the kids to this. I've got to get them new shoes. I've got to go and, um, you know, book yeah. in this appointment for the kid. And then the dads are sitting there going, shit, I've got to mow the lawns. I've got to fix that <laughs> hole in the wall. I've got to get the car serviced. I've got to, you know, there's yeah. always stuff going on. Oh, shit, I didn't get back to such and such about this other thing. So, being able to just take yourself out of that situation for a brief period every day and just calm yourself, mm. especially first thing in the morning mm. and just, cool, I'll write down a bunch of stuff. Then I can just put it down. I can come back to it. I can prioritize it once it's on paper. It's harder to prioritize a list that you can't see. Mm. So, for so me, how do you do that, Matt? Do you like um, listen to like an app or do you do complete silence? Like what's your meditation practice? So for me to... I'm I'm a big advocate for sitting in silence. Okay. Because that's not something that enough people get enough of. Okay. You know, especially family people, because we've got jobs where we're in, you know, office buildings, there's lots of people talking, or we're in trades and there's lots of noise, there's lots of things, there's lots of stimulus. Um, so for me, guided meditations have a purpose. But to me, that purpose is usually you're looking for a certain outcome. You know, yeah. you'll listen to a meditation on gratitude. 
And that's, that's, that's specifically to try and bring some more gratitude to that moment. What I'm a proponent of is, is no calm and quiet and allowing your mind to clear itself and to sort itself out because a messy mind's like having, you know, a stack of papers on your desk that you pushed onto the floor. They're mixed up everywhere. And you're trying to, you're trying to piece it all together and put them yeah. all back where they've got to be. And there's no numbers on the pages. And, you know, you're trying to read through each page and figure out where it sits. And meditation is the ability to like, just take a few of those and put them into a filing cabinet. And then cool, you do a bit more the next day. Cool, you can take a bunch more and you put them into a filing cabinet. And then over time, you're organizing your thoughts better. Mm. So you, to me, that that comes from silence. And this isn't to say that's going to be the case for everyone. Some mm -hmm. people might need guided. But for me and the guys that I work with, it's no, it's basically sit down and shut up, breathe, and then just allow the thoughts to come. If you need to, write them down. And then get back into the breath and just focus on the breath. Just focus on being here. Mm. Focus on your pulse. Focus on the way you feel, where the tension is, all these things. It's a it's a process of just being here and present in the moment. And the more you mm. can do that, the thoughts start to die down. They start to go away. You start to be able to control it. You start to be able to prioritize things. Then that translates over to, to your family life as well. You know, I'll never, ever walk out of a meditation in the morning and not feel better than I did walking into it mm. ever. I'm always more calm. I'm always much more clarity on what I've got to do. I'm just in a much better state. And then I'm, I'm and to be perfectly straightforward about it, I'm also much more loving. Mm. I was going to ask how that reflects to your kids. Yeah. Well, calm equals love in my, in this instance, calm yeah. equals love. Yeah. So if I'm calm, I've got more space for the important things. I'm not mm. being bogged down with the distractions of all the little things and all the, you know, the millions and millions of little tiny details and tiny little jobs and stuff that pop up. You know, mm. you sit in a room and any, any person anywhere can look around the room that they're sitting in and see things that they need to do. Mm -hmm. You know, you can find something like, oh, I've got to put those away or, you know, I've got to clean that up or, oh, there's the window that's dirty. And I know I've already talked about this, but it's it's constant mm -hmm. if you're in a space it's constant that there's things to do and that's why a lot of people will they'll take grounding practices outside they'll go for walks out in nature cool that's fine as well but to me it's the action of thanking the thoughts and then letting them go mm -hmm. is important and just been like yeah cool acknowledged back to the breath and it's it allows you to put things down that you mm -hmm. otherwise wouldn't so walking mm -hmm. can be beneficial but you you remove the aspect of like, cool, I've just noticed I'm carrying this. Yeah. Do I want to carry it or not? No. Okay, cool. I'm just going to put it down. I don't need to carry it any further. I can stay right here. So it's that conscious action of doing that and just being like, okay, cool. Get it out. Once it's mm -hmm. gone, I'm much more calm. I'm much more relaxed. I'm much more mm -hmm. at peace. You know, and it's not to say I'm going to be walking around like I'm on a cloud and climbing yeah. and all the rest all day. Yeah. No, but I'm starting the day much better. I've got more patience. Yeah. I've got more clarity. I've got more, you know, I might be feeling into my purpose a lot more. So I'm more yeah. excited. I'm more energized. My kids are going to see that. And how is that ever, ever going to be a bad thing? Not only are they going to see it, they're going to feel it. And they're mm. going to learn how to, like we talked about number one, mirroring. Like mm -hmm. they're going to have a much higher likelihood of being present and calm themselves as they yeah. grow. Yeah. And they're going to know that that's, that's what you do. You can yeah. you hold space for people's emotions. You don't 
run yeah. away from them, you know, and running away from them again can look like yelling and look like screaming at them. It can look totally. like ignoring them and slamming doors in their face and all these things. Totally. You're still running away from it. Unless you can sit there with it and not try and fix it, odds are you're running away from it. Even fixing is an act of running away because you're it's going, I want this emotion to stop. What do I need to do to make it stop? Mm. You know, what do I need to buy you? What do I need to, who do I need to go and say something to? How do I just stop you from feeling this right now? Well, again, that's suppression. We don't mm. want that. We don't, we want people to understand, hang on, you can actually express your emotions, not suppress them. You're angry. Cool. Let's go to your room, grab a pillow and scream into it. Mm. Allow it to come out. So why do cool. we need to, you know, why do we need to shovel it down and bottle it up and save it for later? Cause that's all we're doing. I love that. Have you ever done that practice with the kid, with one of your kids? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah, I get them to punch the pillows and, and everything. I've got a boxing bag in the shed too. If they're, you know, getting real wild up, I'm like, all right, come on, let's go. Like they're not they're not particularly good at it yet, but you know, but that's the thing is as yeah. they get older, it's it's looking yeah. for outlets. You know, I was desperate yeah. for outlets when I was a teenager and I was aggressive yeah. and I was not allowed them because I was too aggressive for it, apparently. And it made zero sense in my head. I'm like, I have this, like I need to get this out or it's gonna come out in another way. And it did. I wasn't able to go and hit a bag or to do something in a controlled environment. So what happened is I would just explode verbally. Mm. You know, I'd just blow up. I'd just lose it. And that was my, that was the only avenue that was left for me to get that emotion out because no one had created a space where I could do it safely and learn how to understand it better and learn how to control it better. That's huge. That's huge. I love that. Ugh. Yeah. The harnessing of aggression is so important. Yeah. Um, something I, I, I read this like really cool book from, uh, I don't know, it's set in like 8,000 years ago, long story short, but there is one quote that I won't ever forget from that book. Something like the two most powerful forces, um, uh, and the two most powerful forces in the world when left unchecked can cause great damage, uh, fire and the, uh, aggression of young men. Mm. And so it's like, this idea of like, but then they go on to talk about how like these two things are also what like give us light and warmth, right? Also what yeah. protects us. So it's mm -hmm. like all these beautiful elements come from the, from fire and the aggression of young males. But when it's unchecked, that's where the problems start. Unharnessed, yeah. unharnessed. And yes. And unchecked or unharnessed looks very much like society today where right. you're not allowed to behave like that. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to yell. You're not allowed to hit. You're not allowed to do any of these things. Well, then what am I supposed to do with it? It's it's still there. Right. It doesn't just stop because you tell me not to do it. It's still going to be there and it's going to come out another way somewhere. It may mm. not come out stra straight away, but you might bottle it up and you'll mm. bottle it up. And then not to, not to blame and certainly not to say this is the case all the time, but, you know, there's a, there's epidemics of, violence domestic violence totally there's a lot of abuse in the world there's a lot of rape in the world there's totally. a lot of violence created by men in this world totally that is not you, you can't deny that period and that is not the masculine fault that is not the aggression of men's fault totally it is the unchecked aggression it's the unchecked masculinity it's the un inability to express it in a healthy way that creates that you know, there's a there's yeah. so much truth to the saying of, you know, the most dangerous men mm -hmm. 
right? So being dangerous, but not a danger is something that Trevor Bowen talks about, right? So yeah. being capable of violence and actually performing violence, are two different things. Yeah. The people that are very capable of committing violence typically won't because they don't need to, because they're, they're harnessing their aggression. They're putting it into something that's different, right? They're either yeah. fighting or they're just training and enjoying that aspect of it and getting better and sharpening their, sharpening the steel, right? Yeah. But men who don't check that tend to be more aggressive because they've got to get it out somewhere and down the track, mm -hmm. it'll come out. And mm -hmm. sometimes that aggression's not something that other people will see. That aggression can be turned inwards oh, and then yeah. be can become a wildly out of control in a critic. Yeah. Right. Or a, an addiction or like yeah, addictions, um, yeah. so much just like, ugh, it just makes me think of a nice guy. Right. It's like you think yep. of uh, the man who's, unable to hold boundaries and unable to kind of like express himself. Um, meanwhile, having so many just like dark addictions happening behind closed yeah. doors and you can yes. feel that stuff. Yeah. It absolutely leaks across your life. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, porn and yeah. drug use and cigarettes and all kinds of things that, you know, if you're, if you're hiding it, then that's your people pleasing because you're, you're not comfortable taking that to the partner saying, yeah. Hey, here's this thing that's going on with me. And I'm I'm trying to figure out why, but I'm not sure. But it's something that I'm doing and owning it and yeah. owning the consequences of it. If you're avoiding that, why? Oh, I don't want to upset them. Cool. That's people pleasing. Yeah. I don't want them to get mad. Cool. That's people pleasing. Yeah. Like you have no control over other people's emotions. So what you do is you withhold information. Mm -hmm. You don't share things, you know, or you'll share things, but you'll tweak it in a way that like softens it too much. And, you know, you try and downplay things. It doesn't help. All you're doing mm. is people pleasing. And the the self-sacrificing man, the man who sacrifices everything for his family, is a people pleaser. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, they are the nice guy. And, you know, there's a there's a big difference between being, you know, a nice guy compared to being a good man. Yeah. They're very love different. That. Love that distinction. No, for sure. Um, these are beautiful. I love it. So we talked about grounding and we got into a little bit of aggression, which I think is such an important conversation. So let's jump into number six. So number six for me is is dress. So how we dress, how okay. we just the way we appear. You know, Tana Guzzi has a book called um, The Appearance of Power. And that book gave me a completely different perspective on how we dress. And, you know, there's a there's a lot of men, particularly fathers, that we just dress however. You know, it's just you wear the same things. You know, we wear shirts with big cartoon logos on them, or they wear a polo shirt, or they've got you know, the the jeans and a basic, you know, surfing branded t-shirt and a and a vest or something. Like it's very, very consistent, right? Yeah. It's a typical look. But if you you look at each one of those men, it, it doesn't always represent who they are or what they value. So dressing in a way that is in line with who you are and how what you value, and it projects a greater image of who you are. And appearances, you know, first appearances are a big thing. You know, people will always judge you on their first um whatever not first appearance but um first impression first impression right so how you dress you know if you want to keep people away from you know being a protective man if you're walking through a dangerous environment you don't want to dress like a dangerous person because you're going to draw too much attention so maybe you dress down a little bit you know you want to walk into a boardroom and give a presentation to try and land a million dollar contract you're not going to do it in a polo shirt and track pants <laughs> and and flip-flops or thongs as we call them here, mm. right? The way we dress is important. Whether you want to accept that or not, it is important. Mm. And you 
buying the cheapest, crappiest clothes that you can is a reflection on your own self-worth because you're saying, I don't deserve to have the nice stuff. So I'm just going to get the cheap stuff. Oh, it's cheaper. I don't need it. You know, it's, it's not what, you know, men don't care about that stuff. Bullshit. Mm, love it. They do. They absolutely do. We just don't think about it proactively. You know, it's uncomfortable for men to go, hey, I actually need to learn how to dress myself better. I need to know about, you know, different textures and clothing and what things go together well because I want to walk through this world and be able to hold my head high in any space that I walk into. And if I walk into this space and not dress correctly, which we've all done, how does it make you feel? Uncomfortable as shit. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for bringing that, uh, you know, the attention there because like what you just said, like it makes you feel uncomfortable as shit. There's this general kind of cultural thing around like men don't care how they look. And I just think Mm. it's bullshit. I think men care. Um, They have deep feelings the same way women do. Right. They, they, they care. Um, I love this one. I love this one. The way that men, the way that dads dress specifically, because you're right, something shifts when a man becomes a dad, specifically in the Western world. Maybe I'm sure it's the same in Australia as it is here, but you can like tell, like you're wearing those white sneakers. Now you're wearing those like cargo shorts and that's all that you're wearing every day. And it's like, yeah, you didn't dress like that 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you're setting an example, right? And dressing like a boy, and I know I'm probably going to cop flack from this from a lot of fathers that like to wear the funny shirts and stuff, and it's all about the kids and and all the rest. But again, you're sacrificing the self for the benefit of others. You're still people pleasing by doing that. Oh, my kids yeah. bought me this shirt, so I'm going to wear it. And like, fair enough, wear it around the house. But yeah, like wearing it in public, what message is it sending? It's, it's not sending the message that you're a you know, a, a a man who's leading his family or you're a, a solid father or something like that. He's like, yeah, sure. You're sending a message that you're a dad. You know, maybe you've got kids. If you're on your own, you're wearing that shirt. People are going to be like, oh, okay. Is that actually like, especially in with men, because men are judgmental of each other. We we judge each other based on how we look all yeah. the time. You know, yeah. if he's a big, physically big and strong and capable looking man, people go, okay, cool. He's, he looks like he'd be respectable. But, yeah. you know, if you're small or you're skinny or you're weak and you're wearing you know, boy t-shirts, t-shirts that you give to a, you know, a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old with, you know, cartoon slogans and stuff on them. Men aren't going to respect that. I don't, period. They're just not going to respect it. Good point. And that is just the nature of how men are. And women are the same. They judge each other based on appearance. You know, every man who says, I don't care about my appearance, cool. And why have you got a beard? Totally. Why do you sh- why, why is your hair shaped and why do you put product in your hair? Because you give a shit about how you look. Why yeah. do you hit the gym? Because you give a shit about how you look. Why do you eat healthy? Because you give a shit about how you look. How we look is important. And I want to teach my kids that, hey, it's okay if you want to dress well and you should be able to dress well and appropriate for whatever it is you're doing. You know, I'm not going to wear a suit on a hike, you know, for yeah. all the men out there that go, well, I just live in a suit. Yeah, cool. Like, fair enough, mate. But suits aren't warm. They're not inviting. They're not comfortable. Some guys get comfortable out of in eventually, but for me, no, suits aren't comfortable. So why would I want to wear that all the time? Love you know, it. when I'm at home and I just want to be relaxed and comfortable, I'll wear relaxing and comfortable clothes. If I'm going out hiking, then I'm going to wear something that's suitable for that. I'm going to teach my kids that you know buying quality stuff is more important than just having an abundance of it preaching to the choir, Matt. Listen, I majored in menswear design in university in New York. 
I have always thought about men's clothing, started a menswear brand a couple years ago. Um, yeah, all about quality over quantity. You know, there's a statistic that in 1985, the average American household spent 15% of their income on their clothing. Today, wow. the average American household spends 2% of their income wow. on their clothing. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of factors. We have technology now. There's so many other things to pay for. We spend a lot of money on experiences, all of that. But we spend, we buy cheap, awful clothes. Yeah. Um, and because we keep buying it, they keep making it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I love what you're saying. And I also love, you know, this is why if you think about men like JFK, you think about men that like dressed well in history and like Elaine Delon. And you think about just like all of these kind of, men that had a lot of women around them. Okay. Let's mm. just say it. There's something being turned on, like their feminine essence is like alive and well, because they are putting effort and energy into the way they look. And yeah. there's something really important about that. And I think women are really drawn to that too. Yeah, absolutely. They are, you know, a man who takes care of his appearance, takes care of himself. Yeah is a man that you look to and go, well, if he can take care of himself, can he take care of me? Yeah, love that. And the answer to that is probably, or at least there's a better chance of it than a man who's clearly not taking care of himself. Totally, I love that. It also just says so much about you. It says like, oh, he probably keeps an order at home. He probably is mm. clean. He probably is organized. Like there's a lot there that just is mm. said just based on you and your appearance and the first impression. So it's awesome. I love that. Absolutely. Okay. No to dad clothes or like, let's change, change the, the dad clothes thing. Love that. Yeah. Okay. Number seven. So this one was self growth. Okay. And, you know, being, building and establishing a growth mindset in yourself and always learning how to do things better, you know, and, and tossing convention aside and saying, okay, how can I actually do things better? And what's actually in alignment with us as a family and changing the societal constructs that tell you how to show up and how, tell you mm. how to live. So mm. growing as a better man and learning how to manage your emotions, learning how to be stronger and more capable and like building the things about you that aren't the strongest and making them better. Like if you're not particularly patient, you got to work on that. Mm. How do you do it? You foster a self-growth mindset. Like I, I need this. What are the benefits? understand the benefits, understand the why and the how will normally take care of itself. So, mm. and that's a, it's a big thing for kids too. You know, I don't want to raise my kids to just find a limit and then stay yeah. there forever. Yeah. You know, cause it's self-limiting. It's, it's, it's within it. If you're not growing, you're just going to stay where you are. Mm. You know, and I want my kids to not be stuck with that. I don't want them to be stuck in a, the standard convention of, you know, uh, grow up, study hard, get a good job, get a family, right. get a house, and that's it. You know, there's there's so much more to life than just ticking those boxes. And I don't want my kids to be stuck there. You know, I don't want them to think that okay, making a million dollars a year is the is the pinnacle of success. Right. While it's not, because right. there's a lot of millionaires with dysfunctional families who don't look after themselves very well, who are still people pleasing. They're doing totally. all these things. They look successful, but only on one aspect of their life. So this, a self-growth mindset will help you build the rest of the areas as well. It'll help you work on your relationship. It'll help you become a better and more capable, more patient man. Mm. It'll help you become a better dad who's capable of you know being there for his kids in, in more ways. Mm. So 
to me, that's a big one because kids kids learn that and it starts in the home. You know, that's a big part of the my self-growth. I picked that up from my dad because he read so much mm. and he read lots of things, you know, and he talked about lots of different things. Well, yeah. there was a lot of things that he, he couldn't give. There were a self-growth mindset and traditional masculine values were, were the biggest things that my father was able to give me. And they were hard things for him to do because he was, he got sick so often. So, you know, him taking what time he could and teaching me those things and instilling those values into me was important. And that's not to say that every, the way I'm living now is, is a choice that he would have made or a path that he would have walked. I'm walking a different one. Sure. So, you know, but he was able to foster that in me. And without that, without having that self-growth mindset, my life wouldn't be like it is right now. And I'm very, very aware of that. And that's what, mm. again, continues to push me down a more of a self-growth, self-growth mindset. I love that. So like, if you were to define self-growth in like one phrase, like what would it be for someone that's just like, okay, how do I add more of this into my life? Look at the things that trigger you the most mm. and, then, and then lean into them. Okay would be the main thing. So if there's things that are upsetting you in your life, you need to understand them better. Because once you understand something, then you can change it. And then you need to take action to change it. So if you're not sure where to start, what are the things that are bothering you the most? Yeah. You know, if you're, the thing that's upsetting you the most is that you and your wife are arguing all the time. Yeah. Okay, well, what is arguing? Arguing is poor communication. So what do you need to be better at? You need to be better at communicating. Mm. So what can you do? Go and learn how to be a better communicator. Get some mm. books on it. Get some books on communicating in relationships mm. and in all different areas and how to, again, like hold space. It, it evolves the more you lean into it. Mm. You know, you'll you'll start to read and learn about a subject and then people will drop in new words or new terms or new things to learn about. You're going to go, oh, okay. Holding space is different to communicating. Okay, cool. What's that look like? And mm. you go and learn about that and then you can incorporate that. And then over time, things have started to change. You know, the, yeah. the, the way those arguments start are very, very different. Yeah. You know, if you're having an argument or a screaming match with each other, you've just got two people that are out of control, out of touch with their emotions, that aren't yeah. capable of communicating effectively without attacking each other. Yeah. Whereas a man who knows how to communicate and hold space will hold space for the emotion, will set boundaries where they need to and be, you know, if, if they're starting to attack or criticize or say, you know, offensive things or starting to be physical, it's no, we're not going to do that. If you're going to do that, I'm just going to leave. And totally. then we'll come back to it once you've calmed down because there's no circumstances do we hit, no circumstances do we attack each other. You can tell me what you're frustrated about and things that I've done, but if you start calling me things and like calling me names or trying to degrade me or demean me or um, emasculate me, then I'm just going to say hard no. We're going to pause right there and then we're going to come back to it later. And you need to be prepared to walk away and then come back. Mm. and keep that boundary solid so that's that's a part of the process right yeah. and that's that's my experience on a constantly evolving thing yeah. coming from a place of like we're arguing too much why yeah what's causing this and for me it's like the thing that jumped out to me the, at the start was lack of leadership mm. i was not leading in a lot in enough areas mm. and i was leaving her to do too much of it so i was pushing her into her masculine and she didn't want to be there mm. Huge. I love that. I love the way you just laid that out. That's so great. Um, 
because as you go on your path, then you read this book and then suddenly you're like, oh, now the next book is that book. And then suddenly you're like, you're off to the races. You're like on this like beautiful journey where you don't need to know it all or the end end goal right now, but you just need to start. Um, And I I love that. That's so great, Matt. Thank you. Okay. We're zooming along. Number eight. So this one I've just called table. Table. And this is, this is a big one for, for a lot of men. And the, the gist of this is not everyone gets a seat at your table. Okay. Not everyone deserves a seat at your table. And the seat at the table is not, you know, not inviting people around for dinners and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about, right? This is not everyone gets to have an opinion on how you manage your life and how you manage your family and how your where your family is going, right? Mm. Once you have your own family, that is your family. Your extended family don't get a say. You can listen to them. They can give opinions and stuff. And sure, you may be aligned in those opinions and go, yeah, cool, that's a great idea. We're going to do that. But if there's people that disagree with what you're doing and how you're doing it, which we've we've faced this a lot, you know, being a, a homeschooling family, I'm in men's work, you know, which a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about what men's work actually is, um, you know, so people get triggered and they don't agree with it and they voice that. And it's like, okay, fine. I don't have to listen to anything you've got to say on this. We're not in a line. You know, I'm going to listen to people that are going to be supportive, not people that are going to try and stop me and hold me where I am because it's making them uncomfortable. So Ooh. that goes for friendship circles too. Yeah. That's a big one. Oh, I is. love that. That feels very empowering as a dad, I'm sure. Yeah, it is. Because as a dad, where there's so many expectations from everyone, mm. from the world, from society, from work friends, from family to how you show up and how you're doing things. And everyone's got their side comments about, oh, you should do this with your kids or you shouldn't say this and you shouldn't. Look, I'm doing my best over here and I could do without the additional load and the shame that's coming with it. Because, you know, as a side note, the way people communicate things with you is important. It's not just the words they say it, it's the tones they use, it's the timing that they use and it's the body language attached to it. So someone could just be, oh, I just, oh, this is all I said. I was just giving you some advice on what you should do. It's like, no, you're telling me what to do. Yeah. It's a different thing, you know, telling me, oh, you need to do this or you should do this. You're telling me to do it and mm. it's not your place. Mm. You know, unless I've invited you to give that, it's right. not your place to tell me that. You know, right. me asking for advice or asking for an opinion is different to you assuming you have that space. Right. And, and people that are doing, you know, self-growth and self-development, people that are in this, they are pretty good at usually like saying things like, Hey, Matt, I'm feeling something. Would you, would you be open to me sharing something that I I've I've been thinking about this conversation or what you just shared? Are you open to that? Um, And then you can say yes or no. And if you say no, it can be like, cool, let's keep it moving, you know? And most people are, um, are just not trained in that kind of communication no people no one's given anyone training on boundaries period <laughs> you know unless you so step true. into a self-growth mindset you right. do not know what boundaries are the, the only boundaries we learn are the boundaries that our family sets around us as kids right and the schooling system set for us once we hit school right you know and then hr departments set for us when we start a job <laughs> they're the only boundaries right and what are they they're everyone else's boundaries they're right. not ours so we don't actually learn how to set appropriate boundaries for ourselves, And this is about setting boundaries that protect your family. 
Mm. You know, if you've got toxic people that are coming around and they're always yelling and you're trying to maintain a peaceful and calm household, they're going to come around and start yelling and being, you know, off their rocker and stuff. No, that's not going to happen. You don't totally. come here and talk like that. If you can't be respectful when you walk through that door, don't bother knocking in the first place. Totally. And people Love need that. to understand it's okay to be like that because, you know, and, and doing it with families, a really difficult one. Yeah. It is. with extended family and stuff because you feel obligated to do it you know family is more important than everything exactly but your family is the most important thing to you not your extended family yeah and if you're allowing them to walk in and treat your family disrespectful or be rude or be yelling and making your family uncomfortable yeah it's your responsibility to correct that because you're not protecting your family you're people pleasing and putting other people ahead of your own family that's a no from me I love this. Ooh, this is my favorite thing. I just, I love this so much. I was actually recently just talking to um, a gentleman who also comes from like former Soviet Union upbringing, immigrated to Western countries. And like, he was like, God, I just want to teach like all the Russian parents, like a class on boundaries because like so many parents are just like, my kid doesn't want to see me. And so they don't love me anymore. It's like, mm -hmm. no, your kid just wants to not see you every single day as a 26 yeah. year old. It's like, yeah it's such a funny yeah it's an it's a really important thing i love that it is yeah okay now we're on number nine so value and valuing yourself um and understanding that your worth is more than the to-do list that you get through or the money that you bring in mm. and understanding that your role as a father adds value, even just by you being present and not doing much. That's more value than how much you bring in and how much stuff you can buy your kids. That was very so, healing. You just said yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's a trap that so many dads fall into. And again, yeah. all of these things that I'm talking about, they're all experiences that I've had to work through. They're all things that I've noticed about myself and I've noticed in lots and lots of other men. You know, you, you ask so many dads hey how was your weekend and nine times out of ten they're going to say it was great here's all the things i did mm. here's my to-do list i got this done and i got that done and their sense of value is tied into that and then we wonder why um you know when dads get injuries and they can't do those things why they mm. get so grumpy why they get so mad and they get so and they don't understand why. It's like, well, your value and your self-worth is tied up in your to-do lists. Mm. So if you can't do your to-do list for any reason, you're going to go crazy because right. you feel like you're worthless. You feel like you add no value and it's not right. true. Just being able to be present with your kids and just be there for them and being calm is your value. Setting the standard <sighs> for your kids is your value. Being a competent and capable man is your value and being the you know the beacon for your family is your value it's not your to-do list and it's not how much money you earn period gosh it's so good it's just so good because if men can get this then they then their kids mirror this and then maybe we can like minimize this like overconsumption, over productivity like over overproductive society we live in, you know, cause we're all, it's like one person expands into millions and we're, we're all kind of feeling mm. that like our worth is tied to our productivity. So gosh, that makes sense. It all comes from the father, the head of the household. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, we set the tone in the, in the house. 
as as much or as little as we want to accept that we do yeah you know and our value if, if we're running around working our asses off and being a, you know the, in the hustle culture you know yeah. the grind 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 our kids are just going to mirror that and if we're not holding space for them and not with their emotions, guess what? If you're always working and your kids grow up, guess what they're going to do? They're always going to be working. And do you mm-hmm. think you're going to see them? Probably not so much. You know, you I teach... still want my kids. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. Finish that. I was going to say, I, I want my kids to be, to come home. I want my kids to call me. Yeah. You know, I want to be able to call my kids and have them answer the phone. Yeah. That's more important to me than success in the eyes of other people. Yeah. Which is what most of those to-do lists are driven by. You know, if I get all these things done, other people are going to look at it and be like, oh yeah, he's, he did a really good job of that. It's again, it's seeking external validation and I don't want that. I can validate myself. I can know when I'm doing a good job and when I'm doing good things, but it's more important that my kids get my time than, and, you know, a hundred different jobs on a weekend. So sometimes, yes, I get it. You've got a to-do list. There are things that still need to be done but what are your priorities and how are you doing it? If you're just running off and doing those hundred things and ignoring your kids, sure, you're going to look successful on paper, but it's damaging your family. Whereas I will do some jobs and then I will also spend time with my family or I'll get my kids to help me with those jobs. Will it take longer? Yes. Will it be as neat? Probably not, (laughs) but they're learning and they're getting to spend quality time with me. And, you know, if we're laughing and, and joking and having fun, while doing something that needs to be done, they're going to see that there's more to a job than just grinding and hustling it out and just getting it done. Mm, it's so good. Listen, I do a lot of research and I also work in marketing and I'm looking at this um, just 19, ad from 1955. And it mm. says it's this ad for a heater, like an in-home he- gas heater. And the ad is a warm welcome for a man who has earned it, nothing less. Like, like dad has to like he has to earn even being warm at home it's like such an intense like indoctrination it's 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 wild um yeah that ad i was just like wow like makes me tear Uh, up a little bit other people's love towards you is conditional upon your output yeah not just your existence but our kids get love just for existing yeah. Our wives will get our love just for existing. Why are we any different? Yeah, we're not. But people are telling us to, mostly because it it's beneficial to business yeah. if men work hard, thinking that that's what's going to bring love in and that's what's going to help them feel more warm and successful right. and like they've a right. sense of achievement. But it's not mm-hmm. true. The right. better you show up in your family, the more love and warmth they're going to show you. And you do it for a while and you will see that all those all those stories and ads and those manipulative tactics are just absolute bullshit. It's love not it. true. It's not true. And I love this distinction. I really love this bit of the conversation um, around like people might hear this and say, okay, well, then men should just like sit around and do nothing. Cool. But that's just that this or that mentality. What it seems mm. to me is that men actually really love to find mastery in things and to be really accountable for things and to like succeed and and excel in in making shit happen. But what you're talking about, which is so cool, is to separate that from love and affection. Mm. That's so great. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, you you can't you can't 
always separate it mm. and nor should you always separate it. You know, yeah. if, if love and affection is dependent on your mastery of something, then you need to be very, very careful of what you're trying to master. <laughs> yeah. Right. You need to be, because if, if you're going to lose the love and affection um, because you're busy mastering, well, you're going to turn around once you've mastered it. And who was it actually for? Mm ultimately it wasn't for anything it may have been for you and it may have been potentially for the greater good but how much of it is actually for the greater good when mm. men go and master skills we we typically do it for ourselves we typically do it to be of benefit to others yes yeah but mostly as fathers we do it to benefit our family mm. and if we're doing it with the at the cost of love and affection we're not going to be happy we're not going to find happiness through that and it's not going to be a good, happy existence for the most part. Mm, you know, gosh. there's going to be a lot more pain. I love you know, this. It's like gosh. charting a course and getting somewhere and turning around and realizing that you've left everyone behind, mm. you know, or there's a, a, you know, it's like war, you know, you go to war and the successes will get to the end and they'll be happy and overjoyed that they've made it. But you turn around, there's death and destruction behind them. Yeah. You know, people don't want to compare life to war and I'm not comparing life to war, but, the, the same methodology applies yeah. that if you tunnel vision on something in the pursuit of mastery and you yeah. ignore that there's a world outside of just that, yeah. you're going to leave destruction behind you. And that's going to come up in the forms of childhood trauma for kids and yeah. um, distancing. It's going to be behavioral problems. It's going to be a, a the divorces or affairs potentially, you know, yeah. you've got to be able to master more than one thing. Yeah. And if you're mastering a set, certain set of skills in your job, that's cool. Do it. Yeah. But when you're home, the the other 50% of your time spent on this planet, you should be investing in mastering your life as mm -hmm. a man, as a father, as a husband. Mm. So don't fo focus just on mastering a skill because that will benefit your family. If you want to master a skill and be a good family man, you need to master the art of being a family man. Mm. That's so great. Oh my gosh. I love this. This is so great. Okay. I was going to ask you one quick question. How do you, how do you teach your kids the value of hard work and discipline and not giving up and just like going for it, even if it sucks and it's hard, um, which are very masculine qualities with the mm. like feeling seen and, um, you know, being able to be yourself and, and just like rest and, and be grounded. Like I know one of them was, was grounding number five and like really be able to slow down. So how do you do that? By being the example, mm. by doing, by communicating it, by sharing that experience with them. And when they ask questions, making sure I take the time to answer it in a way that they'll understand. You know, there's these things I do that they don't get. You know, if I'm meditating in the morning and they come out and they want to be with me, it doesn't benefit me to say, yeah, come on, I'll just stop what I'm doing. Again, that's self-sacrificing. So I'll say, right. hey, I've got another 10 minutes. You go and play quietly in the front room for me. And then when I'm done, we'll sit down and we'll talk. Or yeah. if, and I'll be like, oh, can I meditate with you? I'm like, how about we do a separate one? When I'm finished here, I'll come with you and we'll sit down and we'll do another <laughs> meditation. So I, I involve them in it. I bring them along for the journey. And cool. a big part of the industrial age and you know the way that world's working now is it's it's creating a big divide between fathers doing the work that they do and having their family able to see it yeah you true. know when we used to when we used to the main thing we used to do was was have farms and work in workshops that were backed onto the family homes and stuff 
the kids were around it. They got to see what you were doing and they got to see the passion. They got to see the reasons. They got to see the why. Yeah. Why you do it and the why you're mastering skills. But now it's, I go to work, I do my job, which I'm very good at. But I, how can I come home and show them that? I can't yeah. explain it to them very well. Like it's very hard for me to explain how I fix, you know, complex process equipment for uh, <laughs> gas analytics to yeah. a child. But if they're yeah. with me and they were seeing me do it and they say, hey, what's that? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Why is it you're doing this? And I go, cool, this is why I'm doing it this way. This is yeah. my approach. And you you take that mentality and you apply it to the other areas of your life when you are home in yeah. the, the, the patients, in the self-growth mindset, you know, in the setting boundaries. And you teach them that with a degree of love and compassion they're going to learn that. They're going to see that. They're going to then grow up and emulate it. And not only that, you've then set the standard higher for them when they get older. You know, my mm-hmm. daughters are going to have a higher bar set for them than some other families because they're going to see how I'm showing up in the world. And I talk to them about this work. I talk to them about the things I do. I mm-hmm. talk to them about why I'm trying to help other men because it's important that they have a better baseline for it when they're older. So when they go into the the dating market, which they're going to get to at some point, mm-hmm. and they're looking for a man, I want them to to go and be like, well, I need someone who's at least this because that's the normal. For them, yeah. that's the normal, right? Yeah. Is it normal across the board? No, but I want it to be the normal for them. And totally. if every man had that same mentality of like, I want to raise the bar by doing and showing and teaching my kids as a part of the process, then they're going to be walking into that world with a much higher degree of confidence or a much higher understanding of what they want. They're not going to be just working it out on the fly because, you know, we weren't privy to the adult conversations and we didn't understand the why people were doing things. You know, we were just told be seen and not heard or Mm. whatever. No, I want you to be seen. I want you to be heard. And there's going to be times where I can't explain things. But my commitment is I can't answer it now. But when you're at... As say you know my my age is about fourteen to sixteen. I, mm-hmm. I tell my my girls especially, I can't answer that now. But when you're fourteen or you're sixteen, depending on what it is, you ask me and I will answer you completely truthfully. Yeah. In in language that by that stage you will be able to comprehend and understand. Totally. You know, and I'll talk to you and start to treat you like, like an adult. So for me, transparency is a big thing. If you're doing something, let your kids see it. You know, you go into sport events like um. You know, the man who plays soccer on a Sunday. Sure, he goes and he plays soccer with his friends, but I can almost guarantee a big part of that is they make it a part of the family. Mm-hmm. So the kids probably go and watch him play soccer. And say, oh, come on, let's go and watch dad play soccer. They're a part of it. And then they're seeing him do it. They're seeing the benefits. They're seeing him smile and mm-hmm. be calm. They're seeing the benefits of the exercise. Yeah. You know, oh, dad's fit. Oh, wow, he's faster than that man. Like, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he saved that goal. How did you do that, dad? Well, practice. Oh, yeah. cool. Can I can I do it too? Yeah, sure. Let's go. Yeah. You know? And it doesn't it doesn't take much. You know, there's a video I've seen floating around of a guy talking about the rule of a hundred rule of hundreds or rule of hundred hours. Um, I, I can't remember what it was. It might have been rule of hundreds, but the gist of it was if you spend 15 minutes a day doing something, that over the course of a year you'll be better than 95% of the world's population at that thing. So whether it's playing guitar or learning piano or you know, kicking a soccer ball or, um, you know, so shooting cool. a bow and arrow or something, right? Yeah. And they're saying just 15 minutes, but if you do it consistently every day, yeah, in a year, you're going to be better than 95% of people at that yeah. thing. So yeah. if you take that approach to how you show up as a dad, you want to build something better for your kids in a certain thing, like a certain 
um, avenue or certain area, you want them to be to have more discipline. You need to show them in 15 minutes every day what discipline looks like mm. and get them to engage in it. And then start to like, sure, kids aren't going to do it for 15 minutes, right? My, my four-year-old is not going to be doing some discipline <laughs> thing for 15 minutes. But if on a day I can get him to do, you know, just do a couple of burpees with me. Sure. That's great. Ooh, he's done it. And the next day do a couple of push-ups, and then just build on that over the course of a year. That's going to build more discipline into his life. So we're, we're, we're playing the long game as yeah. parents, not yeah. the short game. Love you know, it. we're not teach you something you adopt and you adapt it or you don't. And then that's it. That's the last time I deal with it. The onus is on me to be repeatable with it, to be consistent with it. I love it. Show don't tell. So good. So good. Okay. So men, dads, you are worthy. You are worthy. That was the, the gist of number nine. Like you are worthy just as you are. It's so important. Okay. We're almost, we're at our last one. Okay. Number 10. Yeah. So the last one's probably one of the hardest ones, um, finances. Okay. And being being across it, you know, it's a big part of our life and it has a lot of impact across everything. You know, so many arguments are driven by money in relationships um, and we don't even know it. You know, we'll be getting arguing and we're, we're not even arguing about the money, but ultimately if you look back at it, if you, if you don't have a buffer and you don't have some financial stability, Every stress gets amplified because you're stressed mm. about that. Mm. So being a leader and you know sitting down and actually doing a budget and create like and then maintaining it and sticking with it and saying very clearly, like, hey, this is what I need for us to feel secure, for us to feel for me to feel safe and confident that we're gonna be okay no matter what happens in the world. Yeah, this is a buffer that I need. And it might be, you know, five grand, it might be 10 grand or it might be 20, but if you don't have it then it, the onus is on you to sit down and come up with a plan. And if you don't know how to come up with a plan, go and find someone that knows and ask them or yeah. just jump online and watch. There's so much so much information online now that you don't have a reason or a justification to not do it. And um, as far as I'm concerned, here in Australia anyway, there's a book called The Barefoot Investor mm. written by a man called Scott Pape. And it is an incredibly simple system to follow when it comes to establishing budget and better spending habits. And um, it's not about tracking money and dollars and all the rest. It's like, give yourself a bit of money to play with. Make sure you like separate your money out like this. And this is the why. It's very, mm. very simple and easy to follow. So with simple information like that, there is no excuse to be terrible with money. And that's not to say you're always going to get it right. Right. I get paid monthly. So Working a budget out monthly is not an easy thing to do. Totally. You know, because you're going in a month, you can have a lot of unexpected um, expenses pop up. So it's it's a challenge, but we do it well, as well as we can. And could yeah. we do it better? Yeah, sure. And we're constantly evolving and trying to do it better. Um, and then of course, you know, like everywhere, the the interest rates start to climb up and then it cuts into the savings and and everything like that. And then the more that happens, you notice the more stress comes. So yeah. Always have a plan and be leading in the financial area where you can, mm. you know, because if no one's looking at it, then it's controlling you. Totally. Right. If you need to be looking at it, you need to be controlling it. That was just the last one that popped into my head was like, no, money has to be there because money is a big thing for a lot of men, but we tend to just earn it and then spend it. It's like, it's more than that. You need to earn it you need to respect it and you need to manage it. I love that. I mean, you know, what's interesting, like finances are typically thought of as like the 
the masculine domain, which makes sense. Um, but what I know to be true, and I know you, you know this and you've heard of this, is this idea of like money is actually really emotional. So the energy mm -hmm. of money is, is actually a, a female feminine energy because it's all driven by traumas and emotions and all the So people like B Dylan Bain from Fiscally Savage, yeah. as you know, they talk about this and they teach on this. Um, he, he teaches on this. Um, and so I'll leave his link down below the episode, but it's just like a really great question to ask, like, why, why do I, how do I feel about money? It's such a great mm -hmm. question. Yeah, money money can be uplifting. It can be powerful. It can be scary for some people. Like having too yeah. much can be scary. Yeah. Um, not having enough is absolutely a trigger for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, fear of where it's going to come from or yeah. what works involved to get it. There's so much. There's so much about <laughs> money and you know scarcity mindset. Like you know, yeah. there's there's people that are like, no, you got to save, 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 save. It's like, well, I've also got to live, right? Yeah. I've exactly. also got to be able to have fun and, you know, I, I don't want my kids to think that your entire life's focus is saving money. Totally. It's not. There's an entire life to live and you need money to be able to do it a lot of the time. Not, a, not all the time, but mm. you can do lots of stuff for free. We do so much stuff that's free. We go for lots of, you know, nature walks and bush walks. We go lots of free events. Mm. But ultimately, like, what well, do we still need money? Yeah, we do because I still <laughs> need to be able to put fuel in the car to get there. Yeah, you know, and then I've got to pay insurance. I've got to pay registration fees. I've got to pay, yeah, um, for you know whatever servicing and stuff. Like it still costs money to do it. Nothing's nothing's effectively yeah. free. So, yeah. you know, it's if you're not controlling your money, your money's going to control you, totally. whether you like it or not, whether you ignore it or look at it or not, it's going to happen. Period. Mm. Because you know, everyone that says, oh, you know, money's not that important. Okay, cool. Go and stand at a supermarket with a three or $400 shopping cart that's full, that's just been scanned and then swipe your cards and have it rejected. Totally. And then tell me that money's not important. Totally. I love that. I love what you're saying. One of the biggest um, questions that I think I, I asked myself when I first started my, like, find my financial health journey was like, how do I feel when I open my bank account? my mm. bank statement, like, because the answer to that question will tell you all that you need to know. Are you anxious about it? Are you nervous? Are you worried? Are you, or are you excited? Are you like, yeah. like calm and comfortable? And I think once you can learn how to, and I think that's, that's why it's just so important for men. Like, I love when you're talking about this from the masculine perspective around like a calm, collected, grounded energy, a, a man that has mastered money his money and the way that it runs just feels so good for everybody mm. yeah it does it really does and you, you know that the how wh what does it feel like when you open your bank account because there's so many people that won't look or there's people that look all the time and they're you know super controlling of every cent yeah. and, and yeah. you know that's not necessarily healthy either that's either. just you know potentially another form of um you know, just being fearful of it or fearful of overspending or wasting it and, mm. you know, unnecessary purchases and all the rest. But <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say that there's a lot of men, particularly family men in the current climate that would yeah. be scared to open their bank account most of the time and would not want to look at it for oh. that reason, because yeah, you, you have to face some stuff. Yeah. You know, if you've overspent that year or you've had some expenses opening your bank account, looking at it going, shit, we need, on average, we spend $400 a week on, shopping for, yeah. for groceries 
you know, yeah. which our bills are quite high being a family of six. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden I'm looking at how much we've got left and I don't get paid for another two weeks and we've only got enough for, you know, $200 a week. It's like, whoa, okay, how are we going to make this work? And then all oh, of a sudden you're in a reactive space. So totally being as proactive as possible and setting money aside and budgeting and, mm. and being smart um, pays off in the end because you'll look at the account and go, okay, cool. No, we're tracking fine. We're okay. Yeah. We've still got enough. It doesn't always have to be about how much you put away, but it can just be a, about having the control and knowing that just everything's okay, that you're okay, that the money's there. You've got enough. Yeah. The kids are going to be fine. You've still got a bit, of, a bit to, you know, get a coffee here and there if you want to, or yeah. you know, go out and take your kids out for to a movie, you know, or totally. something like that. Mm. Matt, this has been so good. <laughs> Yeah, it's been fun. It was good to to dive into those and sort of, you know, play with them and tease them out a little bit. You know, all all of those, like we've just talked about it for an hour and a half. Yeah. And, you know, all of those were written down on one A4 piece of paper. So, yeah. you know, just one after another. And I just written oh, a couple of little notes about it and stuff like, cool, let's yeah. just get in here, get on the, and just blow them apart and sort of take a bit of a better look at them, you know. So, and I think I'm going to continue to to dive into these on my Instagram. Um, yeah just sort of blow them open a little bit more yeah. and, you know, just, just challenge them a, a little bit because yeah. just because I've said them in this way, that doesn't mean I'm always going to think about them all in this way right. either. You know, again, self-growth, like I may come back to it and look at things again. And my, my thoughts on being the provider might change or totally. how the kids mirror us may change a little bit. I think the fundamentals are pretty well going to yeah. stay, but it'll yeah. be the little, the little things around it that'll change with time. I love that. Well, I loved having you on again. It's just been so great. Um, yeah, the first time you were on, we talked about like the red pill trap, which was very interesting. People love that. So just shout out again to everybody listening, um, where they can find you, how they can locate you. And if they want to work with you, go for it. Yeah, beautiful. So uh, my main platforms on Instagram, and it's at father of the tribe AU with underscores between each word. Um, and yeah, that's a place where I dive into a lot on just being a family man, you know, building leadership for men in their families so that they can be the leader their family needs. Um, and yeah, working with me at the moment, I'm only taking on one-on-one -on -one clients and I just feel that's the best space to be in for men that want to dive deep and really step into a, a new way of living and a new way of showing up for their families, because it gives you the time to really have these deep conversations and to help them find the path that's best for them because the way i've done it isn't the way that anyone else can do it you know no one else can do it the way i've done it and i can't do it the way they're going to do it so how do you navigate each individual man's path forward so if you want to learn more about me and what i do jump on over to my instagram um, i'm pretty active on there i'm posting every day so yeah, jump in, join the conversation. Don't be afraid to say hello, drop a <laughs> message into me. You know, I love having these conversations um, as it's clear coming back onto your podcast again, Anya. You know, it's it's good. Yeah. I love it. So this is what I, I, live for. I live for this. I love it too. And my last words are dads matter a lot. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. It's just, they matter a lot. They matter so much. And so always here to support fatherhood and expanding fatherhood more. In, in any way that we can, so. Absolutely.
All right. Thank you again well, for having me on. I appreciate course. it. That was a very good summary. I love Dad's it. Matter. Great. Dad's Matter. That's it. Okay. Um, all right. I hope you all have enjoyed this one. And until next time.